And uh, today is a very special episode in our series called The Art of Healthy Relating. In this series, we're talking about how do we have healthy relationships with the people in our lives. And especially in a time like this, when there's been a pandemic going on, we need help when it comes to relationships. If you believe that, say amen. And not just us as a church family, but nationwide across Canada, uh, they've said that there's been, you know, so many different relationships breaking up since the pandemic, about 5 million breakups. Uh, and uh, that's a lot of breakups. And we want to, you know, be part of helping those within our influence, within our community, uh, within our city and, you know, wherever we have reach to help people have healthy relationships with one another. Because how many of the Bible has so much good relationship advice? It's the the best relationship manual there is. And see, today I'm especially excited for the episode that we're doing today in the art of healthy relating. In part, it's because of the topic that we're talking about that I'm very excited about, but also in part, it's because of the very special person who will be discussing this topic with us today. See, let me tell you the topic today. Today's episode in the art of healthy relating is called The Importance of Understanding Your Loved One. The importance of understanding your loved one. Let's look at Philippians chapter one, verse nine with me together. It's on your screen. You can read it with me in a big loud voice. It says, and this is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. See what's going on. See, Paul, he used to be the most anti-Christian guy around, but he encounters Jesus in a very powerful personal way, and he becomes a missionary. He becomes a very prolific church planter. And in this a book called Philippians, he is writing to one of the churches that he helped to start, a church that he's been leading. And it's called the church in Philippi, a city called Philippi. And he's saying this, he's saying, I pray, church, that your love for each other, for other people, would abound more and more in knowledge and discernment so that you would love wisely. And see, why is that? Why does he pray a prayer like that? Why does he even bother to write that down and tell the people in Philippi, this is what I'm praying for you? It's because you're going to find this, is that the best lovers of people aren't just all about feelings and just, oh, I feel a lot for you, but there's actually a wisdom and an insightfulness in the way that they love. They have this ability to understand the one that they love in a deep personal way such that they're able to speak to them, treat them, relate to them, communicate with them, pray for them, empathize with them, relate to them in ways that meet them where they're at. And I don't know about you, but I want to love people that way as well. Is I don't want my love to be something that misses people. Though I feel a lot for them, I'm missing them because I don't really understand them. I want my love to be one that is full of wisdom and discernment. That's what Paul's praying for his church in Philippi. And that's our prayer for you as well, is that you and I, we will be wise lovers of people. If, if you believe it, say amen. amen. And see, that's the kind of wisdom that we're talking about today. And in particular today, we're talking about the kind of wisdom that you have when you understand the people that you love a little better. And that's why today we're talking about the importance of understanding your loved one. Now, today we've got a very special individual who's here to speak to us on this topic of understanding your loved one. And she is someone who's very special in my life personally, and I think you are going to be really, really blessed and encouraged by the things that she has to say today. In fact, you've already heard from her because I've quoted from her a number of times in the series, The Art of Healthy Relating. Uh, Dr. Gloria Lee, she is a registered psychologist 
psychologist. She's the clinical director of Brentwood Counseling Center in Burnaby. She is a best-selling author, and she's also a professor at the University of British Columbia, where she teaches counseling psychology. Uh, she trains other counselors, and so she's not just a counselor for people uh, generally, but she's a counselor for counselors. Uh, she's also a wife, a mother of three, uh, and she's also worked as a pastor as well. And the reason why uh, she's especially special in my life is uh, one of the reasons is because when I was a teenager, Dr. Gloria was my high school youth group counselor. Uh, and so we go way back. And if you want to know my secrets prior to me turning 19, she's the person to ask, all right? I'm not sure if she'll tell you, but she's the person to ask. Uh, and you can feel free to ask her if you want. Uh, but, uh, you know, we are so thrilled to have Dr. Gloria Lee with us. Over the past 20 years, uh, Dr. Gloria has counseled individuals, couples, families, organizations through matters including depression, trauma, grief, uh, marital conflict and strife, and all sorts of other issues. They're just very real in our lives today. And so it's with that in mind, I think you're going to be extremely blessed to have Dr. Gloria Lee bringing us uh, uh, some, some, some wisdom on understanding your loved one. And so would you please join me in welcoming my excellent friend and an incredible blessing in our city, Dr. Gloria Lee, as she brings part of the message today. Praise God. Let's give Dr. Gloria Lee a big hand together right now. All right, thank you, JB, for that wonderful welcome. It's been so long that I've seen JB and Charlene, as he said, um, we go way back. And I just want to say one thing, one secret, is that okay? Well, too, too bad if it's not. But um, <laughs> when I first knew him, he was this shy young guy that, honestly, you were stuttering a lot when you spoke. Remember that? And look at him now. He's a freaking pastor. <laughs> He talks every week, and he talks so fast with zero stutter. It's incredible to me when I think about it. Anyway, sorry if I outed you. But anyway, okay, on to the talk. So I'm not used to kind of talking to a camera here. I'm used to interacting with the audience, so I might pick on some of you here as I speak. And I uh, want to apologize ahead of time to the slides operator because... I might digress from what my slides are, so good luck trying to follow. Um, sorry, yeah, I'm one of those people. Okay, before I go into my talk, I want to uh, tell you a little bit more about myself so, and, and my background, my, my family upbringing. So I uh, come from a rather large family. My father is the youngest of five children in his family. He, when he was one years old, his mother and father tragically died in an accident, and he was orphaned. So at that point, uh, the village grandmother from the place where he was living in China took him and his older siblings in uh, and pretty much raised them as her own. Unfortunately, when my father was around 10 years old, she also passed away. And from that point on, my father was orphaned again. So. His older siblings raised him till he was mid-teen. Then somehow he made his way over to Hong Kong where he met my mother. My mother, she's the eldest of 11 children in her family. So most of her childhood was spent raising her younger siblings. And her, she, she didn't have much of a childhood because 
She had to drop out of elementary school in order to uh, raise her uh, younger siblings and help out with the family. They were very poor. Both my parents were very, very, came from very poor backgrounds. So they met when they were in their late teens and they got together very quickly, started a family. I think my mother was 19 when she became a mother to my oldest sister. And my dad was around 21-ish. No one really knows his real age. So you think about, at that age, they started the family. And get this, for the parents out, out there listening to this, my parents had six children within 10 years, four still in diapers at a certain point. I, I don't know about you, but I'm like, I, I might have killed myself if I had to do that. That's crazy. So here you are, two people coming together uh, from very, very broken backgrounds, starting a family right away, not knowing what they're doing, being young, and so they didn't know how to do marriage well. Throughout my childhood, I, uh, I saw the conflict between them. They were always fighting, fighting about money in particular, about the kids, about you know household chores, pretty much about everything. And my experience growing up was my parents fighting, and then my mother... Uh, being a, a stay-at-home mom, she would often take out her anger on the children, yell at us, use corporal punishment, and um, just be unkind. So I was quite scared of her growing up. And then there was my father, who didn't know how to deal with conflict, so he would retreat to the office and escape there. He would work six to seven days a week, probably 10-hour days or more. The only time I saw him was when he came home for dinner and he would just eat, sit himself in front of the TV afterwards and then go to sleep after. So I had a, a distant father who was pretty much absent mentally, emotionally and physically and then a mother who was scary. That was my upbringing for me and my uh, five siblings. And fast forward, I go to university I started studying business because that's what my dad wanted me to do. So I started studying business and in second year, I think, I had to take an elective. So I chose Psychology 100, sure, easy elective. Took it, fell in love with it, and thought to myself, oh yeah, I'll take another elective. So I took Psych 101 and then fell in love with that. And then before you knew it, I was taking all these psychology courses and changed my major over to do a major in psychology. And then uh, I went on to do some more schooling and counseling and then in clinical psychology. And why I fell in love with it so much was because it felt like I was learning about myself who I was, why I was the way I am, and also it helped me to make sense of my family, why my parents were the way they were. And so it didn't feel like studying, it just felt like, I don't know, self-actualization or self-realization, and it was, it was incredible for me. So one thing that stood out in particular for me that helped me to discover myself was this theory called attachment theory, which is what I'm gonna be sharing with you today. So in attachment theory, in a nutshell, now, I usually teach this in like a week's course, but I'm going to condense it in 10, 15 minutes. So you're not going to get the full thing. And maybe I'll try to talk quickly like JB does. Um, just to, so if you don't get anything, just ask later. 
But so attachment theory says that your, your relationship with your primary caregivers growing up will be the main type of, it will set the template of how you do relationships later on in life in every single relationship, especially those that are closer to you. And so if you had a healthy relationship with your parents growing up, there's a good chance that you would have healthy relationships down the road in your adulthood life. Conversely, if you had an unhealthy relationship with your parents, then there's a better chance that you would have unhealthy relationships down the road. And so if we want to forward to the next slide, there are typically four main styles of uh, attachment or the templates that we have. The f and I'll go through each one later, but to introduce them, there is four, secure attachment, ambivalent attachment, avoidant attachment, and disorganized attachment. And in the bracket, those are the words that are used in adulthood. So the, the ones in childhood is called secure, avoidant, ambivalent, and disorganized. And then the ones in adulthood is autonomous, dismissive, preoccupied, and fearful, avoidant. And so the last three are considered insecure styles of attachment. Okay. So let's go each, through each one. The first one, secure attachment. Okay. So it, secure attachment happens when your caregiver is attuned and attends to a child's needs. So what that means is if I was a child and I was in distress, I'm crying or I'm really upset, my parents can easily detect that I'm upset and they'll ask me, are you okay? You look upset. What can I do to help you? Do you need a hug? Do you want to talk about it? So they, they see you, they hear you, they're present, they're safe, and they form this, this safe, secure base for you so that growing up, you're able to go forward in the world, explore, be curious, and become independent, yet you always have this secure base to come back to where you're, you're seen, you're, know, you're known, and you're wanted. So children who grow up in this secure attachment type of parenting style, what happens is then down the road when they grow up, they, uh, they can easily repair conflicts when they, they have conflicts with other people. They know how to uh, let go of things and relationships are pretty relaxed and easy. Okay. And by the way, only about 25% of us come from this kind of background. So congratulations if you're one of these people. I want to know who you are and uh, really befriend you because I, I need to learn myself. Okay, so the next one is avoidant attachment. What that is is, well, avoidant attachment is basically, this was my father's style of attachment. So you can understand that being orphan at such a young age, he didn't really know how to attach to someone well. So what happened was he learned to turn off his own emotions and a, a caregiver in this way, they would be um, neglectful, rejecting, and intellectual. So an easy way to remember this is neglect, reject, intellect. Okay. Neglectful is not necessarily being, uh, neglecting your physical needs. Like they, my parents still provided for our basic needs, like food, clothing, shelter, that kind of thing. But it's more about an emotional and mental neglect where like in secure attachment, how I said, the parent would 
ask you how you're doing and be attuned to your needs, but a neglectful parent would be one that would see you in distress but wouldn't know it or didn't, wouldn't know what to do and just totally ignore that part of you. So it's more emotional and mental neglect. And you'll know this because ask yourself, no, I want you to really think about your own childhood. Did your parents ever ask you when you're upset, hey, you look upset, are you okay? What do you need? Can I do something to help? Usually when I ask people this, they start chuckling because they're like, no, never. And, and it's true that many of us never had that. And I hate to say this, but especially in the Asian family, that happens a lot. Not only that, but an avoidant type of parent would be rejecting of any type of emotions that you might have. You might be shamed for it. You might have been told that you know, it's weak to be emotional. Or, or um, especially for boys, I hear this a lot, that uh, parents will say, you know, man up, don't be such a girl, or don't, you know, boys don't cry, things like that, that are so damaging. So what happens is then people, especially men, will learn to internalize, suck it up, and become really cognitive and intellectual. They become, when growing up in this way, you become really disconnected with your feelings, so you turn it off because it was never safe to have them anyway, so why bother? It might sound like a good thing, but what happens is then these emotions are still there because we're all human and we have them, but we don't know we have them because we never access them, so it goes sideways and we cope by numbing out our pain with different types of uh, numbing behaviors, uh, such as addictions of all sorts. So I don't have time to go into that, but let's just leave it at that. Um, There is also this fear of being close to other people. So... You know, you, you might be someone with a few words. You'd rather be a listener than a speaker. You have probably pretty superficial relationships, and you don't really know how to get close to others and be vulnerable and share your heart because that was never done in your family. And being alone feels a lot safer than being with other people because that's what you're used to. So there's this thing called reactive autonomy where you look like you're really, uh, you got it together, you're independent, you, you got your stuff together and you don't need anyone. Um, you go into these professions where you are the helper of others, maybe like me, for example, where you, you kind of deny your own needs because they were never met, as I said. So you become, your left brain gets really overdeveloped and you become very logical, factual, rational. You know, you try to fix things when someone tells you what their problem is. And this is where, when I see couples, a lot of times, uh, uh, the, hate to say it, but the wife would complain, my husband always tries to fix things when I try to share with him. And I don't need fixing. I just want someone to listen. But he's like, I am listening. (laughs) You know, that's why I'm trying to help you. And if you don't want my help, then, you know, it's your problem and they start fighting. So that is more of the avoidance style. So moving on, ambivalent attachment. That was my mother's style, my mother's style. So this is where a caregiver is, you know, for my mom in particular, she could be nice at times and, and she was kind at certain times, but it was very inconsistent and it was short. 
there was no rhyme or reason to it. It was when she was in a bad mood and she didn't know how to t uh, deal with her own stress level and frustration that she would take it out on the children. So she, but her care was also very controlling and overbearing. So she would, you know, not let us go out with friends, for example, because she thought, oh, you're going to fail school if you go out with your friends or, you know, don't date boys because you'll get pregnant. So, you know, there's all these restrictions and you can't do this, can't do that. And so, so much of the role of the child growing up becomes reversed with the caregiver where you take care of your parents' emotions so that they don't get upset to make sure that you're pleasing them and that you're performing in a way that satisfies them and you won't get in trouble and they won't get upset. And that was a lot of my childhood. So growing up in that kind of environment, you learn to be a master people pleaser. Okay, You're always focused on what other people needs. You're reading the room. You might be able to, you know, you, you would go 10 steps ahead and think ahead and plan ahead, but also you anticipate negative feedback. You anticipate someone saying something that will make you feel guilty that you didn't do enough or you should have known this or you should have done that. And that was my experience. So there's almost this um, over-anticipation of signals as okay, if you're quiet, that means you're probably mad at me right now. And I need to find out and make it feel better for you. So notice how so much of my effort is about the other person that I forget about myself. And that is oftentimes what happens. But how it comes out in relationships then is, especially in marriages when I see this, is usually one of the partners that is complaining, criticizing, always worried and anxious about things, and they talk a lot, they need to verbalize a lot, because they need reassurance that you're gonna be here for me, that it's safe, you're not mad at me, and everything's gonna be okay. So there's a lot of that going on. Now the last one then, the last one is disorganized attachment. Disorganized attachment is, it happens when a caregiver themselves is dysregulated. They're emotionally dysregulated and so because they probably suffer from trauma growing up themselves. So they end up doing a lot of punishing, shaming, and sometimes even abusing the child. So if a child, for example, would, um, let's say a kid is crying, their child is crying, most parents would be able to see that the child is in distress. Let's hold the child, soothe the child. But what a disorganized parent would do is they would be so stressed themselves, they wouldn't know what to do. They'll probably smack the child to get them to stop crying. So that would be more of a disorganized style. And so the caregiver is not responsive to your needs, and they're inconsistent. You do, and so kids grow up feeling really disorganized themselves, that the person who I'm supposed to feel safe with, I actually don't feel safe with. They're dangerous. And so... I get this very um, sudden shift in states where sometimes I feel calm and relaxed. Other times I'm like, I don't know what's happening and I feel like I want to act out myself. And so you can't relax because basically you're stuck in your trauma and your survival instincts kick in where you're in that fight, flight, or freeze mode. So growing up uh, in your adult relationships, they would feel unsafe, untrustworthy, and dangerous because they were growing up. Okay. 
And when it's extreme, what happens when I see people in these kind of situations in my clinic is they suffer from different personality disorders, such as borderline personality disorder, um, antipersonal anti -personal, uh, personality disorder, etc. So it, it gets pretty severe. Now, so that's the bad news in a nutshell. Those are the four attachment styles. And you might be thinking right now, oh my gosh, that's me. What am I supposed to do with it now that I know? Or that's my partner, or that's my parent, or my best friend, or whoever. And the good news is this, that there is healing in this. There is healing. And why is because we are all made in the image of God. Okay. What does that have to do with anything? So we believe in the triune God, the triune God who is in relationship, close connection, and, uh, and deep knowingness of themselves, of each other. They are our model. They are our example of how to do attachment well, even if we don't have good role models in our own lives. So how do we do this? Well, how I said earlier that we are all made in the image of God, meaning internally in us, we're biologically wired for connection. This is, has been shown in research in like, so many different types of research that um, children would rather starve than um, to not have deep connection with the parent. So they would give up eating and starve to have attachment with their caregiver. So because we're all biologically wired to want to have deep connection, there's also this innate need for self-healing that I want to have closeness. And this is why um, we sometimes in marriages, as I said, I hear spouses complaining. Complaints are basically our way of not knowing how to express our deeper need. Behind every complaint is a desire or a longing for something deeper. This need that's not being taken care of during childhood, that's calling out still in our relationships now. So how do we heal that? This is the hard part, but also the fun part and the challenging part. How we heal this is by allowing ourselves to have corrective experiences in order to repair these attachment wounds. Okay, What does that mean, really, giving ourselves corrective experiences? What that means is that there's two, it's twofold. One is be, when we're in relationship with others today, we have to learn to be soothed by the other. It could be close friends. It could be with our children, with our partner, even with our parents. But we need to learn how to be soothed by others in relationships. And I'm, I'm going to share a little bit. You know, I always uh, like to talk about my husband, who's actually standing behind the camera. You guys can't see him. But um, he's the main character of my book, by the way. He didn't have a choice. I just talked about him, and he found out afterwards. Like, uh, okay, I guess so. But anyhow, so I was lucky enough that I won the husband lottery, and I got to marry Clark. He has been my... Um, I always end up crying when I talk about him, by the way, so I'll try not to, but he has been such a healing balm in my life that initially when I met him and 
he was nice to me. I thought he was just being nice to me just because, you know, that's what guys do to win the girl, right? But it continued, and I didn't know what to do with it because, you know, when I made mistakes at home, I was usually yelled at or I got hit or something like that. So it was like, I was getting ready for that. And then I would make so many mistakes because I'm human, but I didn't know humans do that because I was told that was me. There was something wrong with me. So in relationship with him, when I made a mistake, I'd be waiting for him to yell at me or shame me or do something like that. And he would never do that. In, in fact, I would even tell him, just yell at me so I could feel better. Just tell me that, you know, how bad I am. And he, his response would be, why would I do that? It would just make you feel worse about yourself. You already feel bad enough. And I was like, what is this? <laughs> like, I don't get it. Like, uh, grace, forgiveness, understanding, kindness, that's not my experience. So it just, I, I didn't know what to do with it initially. But I l- allowed myself to receive and trust in this relationship, and through years and years and years of this corrective experience, it has helped to heal my attachment wounds. Now, this is just one example. I could say, you know, with friendships, I allow myself to be more vulnerable and share. And so that's one leg of it, always in relationship with others. The other part of the healing is my relationship with myself. How do I heal that? I needed to learn to challenge the narrative in my head that said, don't do it. People aren't safe. They're going to you know, find out something about you, talk about you, and think badly of you. And I had to challenge that, that and remind myself, these people are not your parents. They're not. It's okay. Take a deep breath. Calm down. You'll be fine. Trust yourself. So I had to learn to soothe myself and believe that I could trust myself to make good um, choices. And over time, learning to have a relationship with myself and tap into how I felt, it helped me to slow down, separate what was my parents and what, who I am now, and be able to enter into relationships freely and in a relaxed way. So, in a nutshell, that's what it is. I know this is very quick, but I just want to speak to those out there today who perhaps some of this might have resonated with you because this is, you know, as I said, 75% of us. So, um, I know some of you are in relationships where you're seeing some of this going on with you and your partner, and you're like, oh my goodness, that's my partner's attachment style, or that's mine. Sometimes there's you know, one or two dominant styles, like mine was avoidant attachment, and so, or avoidant and uh, anxious attachment, I should say, ambivalent attachment. And so there's sometimes a combination of it, and it's okay. The first step is really recognizing it, and then owning it, and, and then working through it with your church community, with people that God has put in your path, and also with God, to have a relationship with Him. So I'm going to leave it at that, but there's so much more I want to say, and this is, as I said, a week-long course, but start with that, and um, I just really pray and hope that this is the first step uh, in your journey to healing and wholeness in your attachment. Thank you. 
and a bit of equipment here right now as uh, we move into the next part of what we wanted to do. Uh, first off, can we thank Dr. Gloria Lee for being here today uh, and uh, Mr. Clark Lee as well for being here. Can, can, can we give a big hand? Those of you online, those of you watching here as well. Uh, I, I think it's safe to say that I think when when, when you were talking, Gloria, just now about attachment theory and uh, about some of the things you shared, just, uh, you know, you could, you could hear the attention in the room and you could hear it in terms of, I think, I think people uh, can really uh, relate to, to, to a lot of what you're sharing here. And, uh, you know, and I think it's almost like we're, we're, we're looking at almost like an ocean of stuff we can get into. So there's only, there's only so much we can get into today, you know, but we love having Dr. Gloria here. Uh, and we just thought what we do over the next few minutes uh, is to just uh, use this time as a bit of a Q&A to talk a little bit more about, uh, you know, what Dr. Gloria had shared about uh, and, uh, you know, maybe ask some questions based on that. Uh, and so thanks so much again for being here today. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, Dr. Gloria, thank you so much. Um, you know, I, I really appreciate hearing your story. Um, I really appreciate hearing just your own journey of how you grew up um, and the repair process of how you repaired your own attachment um, after marrying Clark. I guess, you know, while I'm listening, um, I... I can't help but ask, you know, for those people who perhaps don't have a Clark in their life or who don't have that sort of friendship and that connection and that network, um, what can they do? Now that they know they're, you know, 75% of the people are in the insecure attachment style category, what can they do? Um, and for example, in counseling, how can that help them? Yeah, that's a great question. I would say start with yourself attach with yourself. Most people who I work with, um, with an insecure attachment style, don't really know themselves, don't know what they need or how they feel, what they want, because that was always denied in their childhood. It, the focus was never about them. Mm -hmm. So when you start learning to attach to yourself and really get to know, how am I feeling? What do I want? What do I need? If you're one of those people that when someone asks you how you're doing, it's like, the answer is good, bad or I don't know, it tells you that you're not really in touch with yourself, right? And so start with your own attachment with yourself. And you could do that by reading scripture, praying, mm -hmm. and talking with your small group of people or with your pastors and uh, really um, starting that repair. And as you get more courageous and a little more grounded in who you are, then you step forth one relationship at a time. And this is where the vulnerability, but the courage comes in where I will, you know, I, I like this person at church. I haven't really talked to them. I think there's potential there, but let's test it out. That's, that's giving the opportunity for these corrective experiences. Right. Okay. But don't do too much at once, just small steps so that it's tolerable for you. That's, that's, that's really helpful. I think, um, you know, I love your advice about not taking on too much at once, um, because I could imagine that someone who's not used to that sort of social connection um, could be quite overwhelmed at the beginning, for sure. Yeah, definitely. Um, I guess, uh, Pastor JB, do you have any questions? Well, I think for some people who may be watching, this might be a question for them. Is it, what if I don't even really know what my attachment style was. Like, what if I don't, really, I don't remember, like, the first couple years uh, of, of my life and, and how I was raised? Uh, or what if they don't know their partners? And, like, how can they take uh, time to discover that, yeah. uncover that? Uh, are there kind of clues or signals of them today that can kind of help them understand what their attachment style was growing up? Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, so that's another good question. It's not uncommon for people to not know what their attachment style is because you know no one even knew that was a thing, right? And right. so you will know because the things that either you or your partner complain about the most are the things that are still outstanding, the, the, the deeper needs and the longings that's never been... Um, um, met mm-hmm. in your childhood. Mm-hmm. I'll give you a very short example of how this shows up in a relationship so you kind of, you could tell. So, um, I saw this couple for premarital counseling maybe like 15 years ago or something like that and when I met them, I often asked the couple, uh, so why do you want to get married? And they'll say, oh, well, she said, well, I He's such a good listener. You know, he, he knows my heart so well. He's been such a rock for me. I'm like, okay, great, wonderful. How about for you? And the, the guy said, you know, she is so expressive. She knows, she, she's just the most honest person. And um, I know her so well because I've never met someone so pure and honest and authentic about themselves. I'm like, great, wonderful. Five years later, they come back to my office and for marriage counseling now. Mm-hmm. And I asked them, well, what, what, what's going on? And they said, so she, he, what happened? She said, well, talking to him is like talking to a brick wall. He never, <laughs> he's, there's no response. There's nothing, yeah. right? And, and then he's like, well, I can't get a word in. It's like, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, can't ever, you know, anytime I talk, he'll, she'll, she'll interrupt. So interesting. I paused. I said, the very thing that you fell in love with, all of a sudden the perception changed because your attachment style starts coming out. So instead of, he's such a good listener, now it's, he doesn't listen, or he, he, it's like a brick wall. I'm not seen, I'm not known, I'm not heard. Okay, what attachment style does she have based on all that? Okay. I'm not going to tell you. And for, <laughs> I want you to figure it out after listening. Okay? Now, for, for him, when he says that all she does is talk, 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 whatever, and I can't get a word in, I mean, his focus is also on her, what he's not getting from her, right? Mm-hmm. Notice how both people are focused on the other, mm-hmm. what they're not getting, mm-hmm. right? What the other person's problem is. Yeah. Not necessarily what my problem is and why I feel this way. And so for him, he had a more avoidant style where he was always the listener. He never talked. He never shared. He didn't know how to. So he fell in love with her because he thought, oh, this is so attractive. Yet over time, she felt like you never, you never share. You never talk. It's like monologuing. And she felt so disconnected with him because she had an anxious attachment style where she needed feedback from him to know, like, do you care? Do you see me? Do you know me? So it ended up she felt like um, she was abandoned by him and he felt rejected by her. You see how that goes? So it's all attachment stuff coming out, right? So it's pretty apparent. Like, if you put a couple in my office or even an individual, first five minutes, I will know the direction for the next 20 sessions with them just because of hearing what the problem is. Mm-hmm. It, you'll, you'll start to see that over time. Okay. Yeah. That's great. Um, one of those, uh, one, one question I think maybe some might have as well as this is, uh, because I love how, you know, on one hand, Gloria, you're a committed Christian, 
You're a follower of Jesus. You've worked as a pastor. Uh, you're also, uh, you know, a, a counselor of counselors. You're, you're, you're an extremely accomplished, uh, you know, registered therapist and all that stuff. And, and you're, you're, you're deep into, uh, you know, uh, you know, teaching how attachment theory works. I think there may be some who may be asking, okay, how do we, how do we kind of combine those two in terms of, uh, you know, is there a biblical basis or there's a theological basis for attachment theory? And, and you know, you, you, so many people say, well, because yeah, when you read the Bible, you know, you don't. There's only a few people in the Bible where you can kind of follow them from birth through childhood, through adolescence. There's, there's Jesus, uh, there's Samson, uh, there's Samuel. Uh, there's only a few. Uh, Moses is another one. Um, and so kind of like, is there, um, how does like this attachment theory stuff relate to the Bible as far as you're concerned? Like what, 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 are, your, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, well, as I mentioned earlier, it's, you know, the triune God. I mean, okay. that in and of itself, I think, tells us there's, there's definitely... Uh, attachment or deep connection there. But I also want to refer to the other uh, side of this, which is in Deuteronomy, where it talks about the sins of the forefathers go to the third and fourth generation, but the the blessings to the thousandth generation. Mm. And what that has to do with this is so many times attachment, um, the, the way you attach... It's intergenerational. Right. You'll see this. Like when you think about your parents and then your grandparents yeah. and you look at your aunts and uncles and then you look at yourselves, how you relate to each other and then how you parent. It's like, oh my gosh, I see so much of my mom or my dad <laughs> and me. I told right. myself I'll never do that. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. you know, so sure. it is very intergenerational. And until we have that stop and say to ourselves, enough, enough, I will be that generation of blessing from this point forward yeah. that I make that commitment to change this so that I could turn it around and be the blessing to the thousands generation. That's great. That's great. Praise yeah. God. That's yeah. fantastic. That's wonderful. That's a great answer for sure. Mm-hmm. That's better than anything I had prepared. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I won't even bother t- saying that part. So that, that, that's, that's excellent. No, that's, yeah. that's, that's really, really great. Um, Pastor, any, any questions? Um, you know, Gloria, I think, uh, I, I think earlier on you mentioned that the attachment theory um, is you know, the, the most important years are the first two years of a person's life. Um, and we actually have a lot of young parents. We have a lot of young families um, and, you know, with, with kids who are very young and also with some teens. Do you have any advice, for example, for, for parents on how they can establish that secure attachment? Um, you know, I think about how we have parents who are extremely busy, um, who are working and who maybe don't have that opportunity to spend that much time with their kids. And so, does that mean they're set up for, you know, having insecure attachment? Um, or what can they do in a situation like that? Good question. Yeah, that's a great question, too. And I would say it's never about the quantity of time. It's always about the quality of time, okay? And, you know, I came from a very insecure attachment model, and I didn't know how to do parenting well, to be honest. I, I Naturally, if I had it my way, I would love to have smacked my kids like when they were out of line. Like that would be that 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 I had moments where I wanted to. But what was healing for me was, you know, in order to be the kind of parent you want to be, never learn about parenting skills or parenting styles. But it's always about reparenting yourself, reparenting yourself to heal that attachment wound so that it will naturally come out of you. And you don't have to try so hard to be a good parent. You just will. And one little tip that I use throughout, whenever I was upset at my children and that first you know, gut instinct to you know, yell at them, to quiet them down or whatever, because that's what my mom did to me, I had to pause, mm. take a deep breath and ask myself, 
how would I have wanted my parents to respond in this moment when I acted this way? And that is what I would do. And I tell you, that changed the course of my parenting. And I was like, I could do this. It it worked. And they're calm. I'm calm. We're all good. So there is hope. Yeah, I I love what you what you shared about you know just taking that moment, pause, and uh, think about how would I want to be parented, and that's how what we use in order to parent our kids. I'm learning so much, (laughs) Dr. Lori. I learned so much today. (laughs) Oh, thank you. Yeah, praise God. Well. We uh, are so blessed to have Dr. Gloria here. Uh, the book that uh, has become an Amazon number one bestseller uh, that Dr. Gloria wrote is called The Kick-Ass Couple. Uh, and this is what we had been referring to uh, during the series, The Art of Healthy Relating, uh, at different points. Uh, and I can say it's an excellent book. Uh, and uh, you know what we talked about today just kind of scratches the surface in terms of the stuff that's covered in this book. Uh, if, if people wanted to get a copy of this book, Dr. Gloria, what, what's the best way to do it? Amazon, Amazon, I guess. Okay. <laughs> you guys know that well, all right? So Amazon, uh, you know, if you, if you want to get a copy of that for sure, uh, that's, that's fantastic. Um, you know, any, any final thoughts as we kind of close up today uh, that you want to share with uh, people watching? Okay, if, if I can change and I come from such a messed up background, there is hope for all of you out there. In my book, I say, you're really not that special, okay? You're not that, like, you know, it can work for everybody else, but not me. You're not that special. Mm. So know that you could do it, okay? Mm. That's it. Praise God. Can we give Dr. Gloria Lee a big hand? Mr. Clark Lee as well, both of them being here today. Praise God. Right now, what we're going to do is uh, our band is going to lead you in a song. After that, I'm leading you in prayer. But once again, a big thank you to our very special guests today, Dr. Gloria Lee, Mr. Clark Lee as well. Uh, Great to have them here. I hope you learned something. I certainly did. uh, And we'd love to have them back again in the future. But in the meantime, let's close off our service. We're going to sing a song together to thank God for who he is and praise God that, you know, whatever our background may be with our own parents, uh, with our own attachment, as they say, uh, that you have an amazing Heavenly Father who loves you the way that he does. Uh, And so with that in mind, I'm going to ask Carmen to lead us in a song. After that, lead him in prayer. Uh, let's give God our best worship right now. Praise God. Today, we've been talking about the importance of understanding your loved one, how we want to love the people in our lives with wisdom, with a depth of insight, with an understanding as to where they're coming from so we can love them and meet them where they're at. And how to know that long before we ever did that with one another, long before we ever tried to or want to do that with one another, that you had a God who did that with you is that God loves you with an unconditional love. And he's a God who understands you better than anyone else understands you. You know, Psalm 139 says, you know, oh Lord, you've searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You know my going out, my lying down. You're familiar with all my ways. The amazing thing about God is that he knows us inside and out and he loves us with an unconditional love. And the best way that he showed that is that when we had no way of reaching God, God reached for us when he sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross for our sins. And if you want to have healthy relationships with people, so much of it begins with your own relationship with God. Is receiving God's forgiveness for times when we've messed up, learning to forgive others who've hurt us. But it all begins with a relationship with God. And if you've never, if you can't really say that you have that, if maybe you've gone to church before, but you can't really say you've got a relationship with God, maybe you've read a bit of the Bible, but you can't really say that you have a relationship with God, or maybe you're just kind of really new to all this, you're kind of just exploring, you're curious, maybe this is the first time you've ever been to church at all, I just want to let you know that a relationship with God is so simple. 
It's simply you asking Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sins and to invite him into your life, to be no longer you on the throne, but let him take that throne. And if that's you and you realize you want to do that today, then I encourage you to do this. It's the simplest praying a prayer. And to lead you in this prayer, I want to encourage you to do one of two things. You can either scan the QR code that's on your screen, or you can click the link that's in your chat room, and it's going to take you to a page with a very simple prayer on it. And just so that you're not doing this alone, we're going to do this with you. I'm going to do this with you. And so I want you to do that. If you want to pray to receive Jesus Christ and his forgiveness in your life, uh, and let that be the beginning of healthy relationships, not just with God, but with others as well, why don't you click that link? Why don't you scan that QR code? And I'd love to lead you in this prayer to ask Jesus Christ for his forgiveness today. And so would you do that with me right now? Why don't you click that link, scan that QR code, and maybe pray this prayer before would you pray it with others to support them as they make this decision to follow Jesus today? Why don't you just pray this prayer with me right now? Say, dear Jesus, Jesus, thank you you that because you love me, you you died on the cross cross to pay for my sins. sins. You rose again again to give me life. life. Today, Today, I open up my heart heart and I ask you, you, please come in. in. Forgive me of my sins and and fill me with your Holy Spirit. I place my trust, not in what I do, but in what you've done for me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, if you prayed that prayer and you meant that prayer, then according to the Bible, your sins are forgiven. Not because of anything that you've done, but it's all because of what Jesus has done on the cross for us. And now you have a relationship with God through Jesus that is an unconditional love, such that no one can separate you from God's love anymore. Would you give God a big hand, a big shout? Let's play together right now. Praise God for that. If you go to the bottom of that page that you prayed that prayer on just now, there's some gifts we'd love to send to you. On top of that, we encourage you to do a couple things. Number one, keep coming to church. Every baby needs a family to grow up in, a healthy family. We'd love to be your spiritual family here at Thrive Church. On top of that, we encourage you to get baptized. Baptism is not a graduation. Baptism is a beginning. It's you simply saying, I know I'm a sinner who needs a savior, but I thank Jesus Christ for dying on the cross for me and rising again to give me a hope that I have today. And so if that's you, you can go to info and press the baptism button for more information on baptism. We'd love to help you with that sometime in the future as well. Praise God. Can we give God a big hand for an amazing morning here? Hello, everyone. Welcome to Thrive Church. I hope you had an amazing time today with us, and I hope you learned a lot from today's message and conversations. My name is Marizal and I will spend a few minutes to go through some announcements with you and what's coming up here at Thrive. If this is your first time visiting us, we would love to connect with you. We want to give you a Thrive stainless steel water bottle to thank you for spending your time with us. Simply visit mythrive.info and click new to Thrive or text new to 604-285-5770. We will mail the water bottle straight to your mailing address. If you pray the prayer to receive Jesus into your life today, a big congratulations to you. We want to send you a series of videos recorded by Pastor JB and Pastor Charlene that may answer some of your questions about Christianity. We also have a beautiful Thrive Mug and a Starbucks e-gift card just for you. So if you've received Jesus today, let us know by texting BELIEVE to 604-285-5770 or by visiting mythrive.info and click I want to ask Jesus into my life. We will mail the gift package to you as soon as possible. 
Here at Thrive, we encourage everyone to be part of a small group. In a small group, you can share your joys and struggles. You can encourage others and be encouraged. You can also hang out and have fun together. It's the best way to get connected here at Thrive. Signing up for a small group is very easy. Simply visit mythrive.info and click join a small group. Let's experience life together. That is all for the announcement this week. Don't forget to give your tithes and offerings online at mythrive.info. Have a wonderful Sunday afternoon. We look forward to seeing you again next Sunday here at Thrive Church Online at 9.30am and 11.30am. Stay blessed.